evening. How are you all doing? All right? Sorry, I'm getting a bit of a sense that there's a low energy here. How is everybody doing this evening? Feeling okay? It is really nearly Christmas, so we can be excited. It is okay to be excited. Um, what I wanted to do to start with, actually, was um, I'm going to read a little passage from the Bible and um, just encourage you to just let these words sink in. And just for fun, a bit of a Christmas quiz, um, as I'm going through this, see if you can recognize who it was um, that spoke them. Um, if you knew, obviously you're not going to know, it, like new to faith, you're not going to know, but, but you might do if you've read the Bible a few times. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, if you're not sort of like, it doesn't immediately come to mind who, who said that, you'd be forgiven for thinking it was perhaps, you know, David, or somebody like that, or, or maybe sort of like the prophetic bit in Daniel. But, um, but it was actually, um, if you're familiar with these words, you'll know that they were spoken by Mary, um, the, the mother of Jesus, when she was pregnant with Jesus. Um, and they're, they're recorded in, in the first chapter of, of Luke's gospel. So if you've got your Bible or your phone app, get it, get it open on, on, on the first chapter of Luke. That's where we're going to be tonight. Now, when it comes to Mary, uh, most of us know that, um, that she was Jesus' mum. We know that she looked something like, something like this, because she always wore blue. Um, and she always gets played um, by the best-behaved girl in the class in the nativity. But what we may not know about Mary, but what we just read here is that actually, you know, in this instance, she, she spoke as, as a powerful prophet. Um, and it's incredible that she, that she said these, these beautiful, powerful words when you think about the situation that she was in at the time. You know, she was, she was probably um, a young girl. We don't, we don't know for sure because it doesn't really say how old she is, but, but, but culturally speaking, um, we read that at the time she was betrothed to marry um, so she probably would have been in her teens. And so she would have been seen as, as little more than a child in a culture that, that didn't really view um, children and especially women um, as having sort of amazing rights. They were quite limited in that sense. And so, so she was, there, was much, there wasn't much about Mary that, that, that sort of carried stature in herself. We read um, later on in the Gospels strong hints that she was from a poor family. And so... She wasn't necessarily somebody you'd expect to come out with these like bold words. Yet, they have um, a real authority about them, don't they, as she says. In verse 52, she says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. It's kind of like quite a lot of, of authority there, isn't there? I, I think it's hard to read this little passage without being impressed by this young woman. Um, she certainly, Mary was certainly a, a bit of a heroine of my mum. 
um, because uh, I, I grew up in, in a Catholic background, and so in our house we had like pictures of Mary on these little cards and things around the house. I had a, a pendant that I was given that I used to wear with Mary on it. Um, and one of my mum's proudest possessions was in fact a statue of Mary that she had in her bedroom. And I remember um, one day, this was you know, one of the most traumatic experiences of my childhood, I had a friend around to play, I think it was, and I was, we were like chasing around having a fight, and I threw, um, I, we ran into mum and dad's bedroom, I threw a slipper at him, he ducked, Mary took the hit, <laughs> she wobbled, she toppled, and I decapitated Mary. <laughs> and uh, you know those moments when you're a kid, when you just, your stomach goes, and your siblings see what happened, they're like, oh, you're so dead. And... Um, <laughs> I didn't know whose retribution I feared more, uh, Jesus or mum's. So Mary was really held in high esteem in our house. And um, over the years, I guess, um, as I've sort of read the Bible more, uh, the, the way that I view Mary has changed a little bit since some of the stuff that I picked up when I was a kid. Um, but today what I want to do is, is really commend this remarkable woman to you as an example of a dedicated servant of the Lord. In her life and and in her sort of example, you can see how, how as long as a person is willing, God can take the most unremarkable people, the most ordering people, and do the most extraordinary and remarkable things. It says in you know, 2 Corinthians that, that God's power is perfected in our weakness. And I think Mary's life is an example of that. And the particular thing that I want to focus on um, in, in, in this little passage, the particular quality that she carried, and the thing that I hope we can sort of like take away a little bit and perhaps apply in our lives in the coming weeks as we face this Christmas season, is this attitude that Mary expresses at the start of this prayer when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Um, the last few weeks, I've, I've just been really captivated by that little phrase, um, and I, I don't know what Bible you've got or what Bible you tend to read, but I think if you read like an NIV one, I think it says, it says it's slightly different. So it says, I think it says, my soul glorifies the Lord. But in the one that I tend to read, it says magnifies. And, and so because of the difference, I did a little bit of research to try and figure out you know, what, what the origi- what, what, how it's been translated, what it would have said originally. And the original word is all to do with, with mag- well, enlarging. It's to do with making something great, emphasizing something. And most of the times that this word is used in, in, in the Bible, it's used in our reference to God about the way that we are to worship him or the way that our faith is to grow. Our desire for, for his name and our faith to, to swell, to be enlarged. In fact, it, it comes from the same word as the word like mega. So if this was like a kid's talk or a youth talk, I'd say, you know, Mary is declaring mega praise, mega praise to God but we're grown-ups. So I think this word, my soul magnifies the Lord, does a great job of capturing the original meaning. And to me, it sort of stirs up a bit of a picture in my mind, like an illustration really, of Mary's desire as a person for her soul to act like, like a magnifying glass, really. Got one coming up on the screen. Um, you know, just to completely make the Lord's name greater with her, with her life. Um, as a person, she longed to just magnify the glory of the Lord. And um, before we get too far into sort of how, how exactly she did that, I want to just pause for a second for us and reflect, is that how you feel 
today on the, you know, the 18th of December 2016, is it the desire of your heart and your soul to say, my soul magnifies the Lord? Is that your plan for the next couple of weeks? Is that the desire of your heart? Because um, there's a couple of ways that, that Mary really did this that I'd love to draw our attention to tonight um, in particular. Um, and um, we're going to sort of focus on them in, t- in terms of like two points, really. The first point is going to be my soul, or how, looking at how Mary's soul, but how our soul can magnify the plans of the Lord. And then secondly, how our soul, Mary's soul, and our soul can, can magnify the power of the Lord. So first point, my soul magnifies the Lord's plans. In this passage, it's amazing how, how through it, Mary continually emphasizes and highlights the plans of the Lord um, in her life and also in sort of like through history. Um, and I think that's pretty remarkable when you think that her plans for her life had just been totally obliterated. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a situation where, where your plans, you had, a, you had everything mapped out and then something came along and just sideswiped it all. It's quite a frustrating experience, isn't it? I, I had it the other night where um, I'd, I'd been working here and I had a few sort of like busy days in a row at work and, I, and I'd had quite a lot of evenings where I'd been doing stuff um, in a row and it finally got to the point where I had an evening off. Um, and it turned out to be an evening to myself, actually, because Abby was, was, had to go out somewhere. So I got the kids to bed, um, I got into my pyjamas, I got my favorite TV series ready to go on the telly, um, and I was, I was literally just about to sit down in front of the telly, I got my dinner on a tray, it was oven chips, chicken nuggets, and a cold beer, because that's what happens when your wife goes out. <laughs> And then there's like this knock, knock, knock on the door. Just as, literally, just as I was like that. And I was like, ah. And it was one of my neighbors. And she was stood outside shivering because she couldn't get her heating to work. And she was saying, oh, is there any chance you could come and help me get my heating going? So, you know, sometime later, after restarting her boiler several times, and and we eventually realized she hadn't put any money in the gas meter. I was like, nice one. Um, (laughs) I got back to my, you know, cold chicken nuggets and warm beer. It can be hard when, you know, something frustrates your plans, even if it's God doing, doing the interrupting. Um, the guy who, um, who really founded and got the vineyard moving, movement going, John Wimber in the States, um, he, um, in his sort of early life, he had a career as a music producer. And so um, he was doing, he had a really successful career, in fact. Money, contracts, lots of opportunities, but if you, um, if you ever read his uh, biographies or if you sort of hear his testimony or see it on YouTube or something, you can see that you hear how the Lord started to speak to him about a, about a change of plan for his life. Um, and he felt called, you know, away from that career and into church ministry. And he, he chose to embrace that change of plan. In fact, um, he, he took all of his, like, music recording equipment and his tapes and everything, and he, and he threw them um, in, a, in, in the skip, or he set a light to them. Which, what did he do? Did he set a light? Well, he got rid of them. He destroyed them completely. He sort of embraced this plan that God had for his life um, with real gusto. And there's been a lot of consequences to that. When you think about it, the vineyard movement, and even this church that we're stood in today, has been kind of like a knock-on consequence of John's decision to get on board with that change of plan. In a similar way, Mary had her 
plans for her life. It was all mapped out. You know, a few months before, she had been, you know, just like any other young girl um, in Nazareth, like her mates probably, she'd been betrothed to this chap called Joseph. Um, and in those days and in that culture, they did the whole marriage thing differently. Um, so to, to sort of like be betrothed was more than how we would say engaged. There'd been a sort of a legal commitment. Money had been paid from family to family. It was, it was a done deal. And they were just yet to sort of like finally have the marriage ceremony. And then the angel Gabriel comes and visits Mary and tells her about this change of plans. You're going to conceive a baby, and it will be out of wedlock. And Mary asked, oh, that's impossible, I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, well, nothing's impossible for God. And sure enough, that's what happened. And so for Mary, all of a sudden, it was going to be a bumpy first Christmas, in the literal sense. God was changing her plan. And, and it was a difficult change of plan. You know, people were not going to buy this whole sort of situation, were they? Babies don't just start growing in wombs spontaneously. Everyone knows there's only one way that you can get a baby to start growing in a womb. Um, the only time it's hard for us to get our head around that is when we think about our mum and dad, but apart from that, <laughs> we know this is just how it happens. And so, you know, Mary's family, her friends, her community, they were gonna see the bump and just assume that either Mary had cheated on Joseph or the two of them hadn't been able to wait and the law was really clear. The, the Old Testament law made it really clear that Joseph should divorce her for this. In fact, the law had some, some pretty strong consequences for a wife or a betrothed woman who was, who, who was caught in adultery. If she'd have been found guilty of this um, adultery, worst case, worst case scenario, she could have been put to death. Best case scenario, a life plagued by rumors, whispers in the street. It was a challenging start for her. Sometimes when God changes the plan, challenge is part of the process. When God changes the plan, sometimes like, like Mary, we have to do things that other people who are looking on don't necessarily understand. And perhaps you're in a situation, a stage of life for you right now where God is, is changing the plans for you. Maybe you're right at the start of the journey of exploring faith. And as you kind of like start coming along to church and things like that, you know, your friends are looking at you and they're, and they're, they're mocking you they think you're losing the plot. Some of them are concerned about, about what you're doing. Or maybe um, it's a different situation for you. Maybe God's changing the plan for you right now about something to do with money. Perhaps, you know, you've been saving for a special treat for yourself, but you hear a story about a friend um, who's in need, and you sort of get that sense that, that maybe it's God's plan to bless that person instead. If you're a, um, any of the small group leaders who are here tonight, I'm sure you will be familiar with this scenario when God changes the plans, um, where perhaps, you know, you've got an evening off. Um, you've got it all planned out, maybe not as good as chicken nuggets and chips, but you've got something nice planned for the evening, and then the phone rings, and it's someone in your small group, um, and they need to talk. And sometimes, perhaps you'd say, do you know what, is it all right if we chat another time? But you just get that sense in that moment that, that the Lord's saying no, this evening, they, they really need your time. You need to be there for them. Sometimes there's a cost and there's a challenge to going with God's changes of plan. But I think we can really learn something from this example of Mary because the way, the way that she responded to it, and when you look at, when you look at, when you read this, the way that she responded to it, you're able to see that her perspective is just, 
It's just broader than, than, than sort of like her present circumstances. She chooses to kind of emphasize and focus in and magnify not what's going on in her life, but what God has been doing through the generations. Verse 48, um, she says, um, sorry, 47, my spirit rejoices in God my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. That's a remarkable perspective to take on that situation that she was in, isn't it? It's incredible. Her soul acts as this, this magnifying glass, and she uses it to emphasize and enlarge not her issues, but God's plans. And as I was reading this, I was thinking, well, how, did, how did she do this? Like, how did, she, how did she see it that way? Where did this young girl get this sort of, this faith and this courage and this wisdom? I think on one hand, um, as you read it, there's clearly, one of the sources of that was, there's clearly something supernatural in her response. There's, there's something that's inspired, that's prophetic about the words that she's using. It's beyond the natural response of a teenage girl who's just found out she's magically pregnant. Listen, listen to this, this section here. Um, where is it? His, his, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. You know, in that section, she's kind of, it's almost as if she's, she's passing this magnifying glass over the, over the pages of the Old Testament, of the, of, the, of the history of the nation of Israel, and just going, look at what God's done through the generations. But in the same breath, she's also drawing attention to, to what's currently, presently unfolding. She starts to refer, in a way, to sort of like the, the, the coming ministry of the child in her womb. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. You know, remember um, later on we read about the feeding of the 5,000, filling the hungry with, with good things. We, we read about that story, that encounter that Jesus had with a rich man and how the rich man um, left Jesus disheartened and empty because of the challenge that Jesus laid down. And so I think there's something profoundly prophetic about this passage. There's a supernatural insight into the past and the present and the future. And so as Mary was saying these words, clearly the Holy Spirit was resting on her and anointing her to say them. But, but in the same way, in the same breath, there's also something that's very natural and very real about her response. When the angel first appeared to Mary to tell her about God's plans, we read that Mary was troubled and she said, you know, how will this be since I'm a virgin? But the, the angel had, had reassured her and, and she just chose to get on board with, with the angel's plans. She said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary makes this conscious decision. And then in this prayer that we're looking at tonight, she, I think she makes this deliberate attempt, not just to accept, but to celebrate and to enlarge what God is doing. You know, so, you know, we use that language sometimes in the vineyard, naturally supernatural. I think that is a great description of what we're reading here. Because in one sense, um, it's anointed, prophetic response. But I think in another sense, it's a very human, a very real, conscious response. And I think, you know, that couldn't have been an easy thing to Mary, for Mary to say. But it's something that she, that she chose to do nonetheless. And I think it's a choice that we can make too with our lives. We can choose to magnify 
the Lord's plans? Is it a choice that you would make? I know it, in principle it's probably a bit of a no-brainer. You're thinking, that, yeah, of course, of course I would do that. If I was to ask you, you know, this Christmas, do you want to kind of um, prioritise your plans for your life or God's plans um, for, for your life? We would all say, yeah, we want to we sort of prioritise God's plans, don't we? But, and it is a bit ironic, Christmas is a time when sometimes we can get preoccupied with our own little plans, can't we? You know, like last week, if you were at the carol service, there was that really funny video, wasn't there, where the, the, the West Bridgeford house, housewife was agonizing, oh, turkey or goose, turkey or goose, and we, we laughed at that. But Christmas is a time when we can get preoccupied with like the festive arrangements. We want everything to be right, from the food to the gifts, to who's sleeping in what bedroom, and, and what we're gonna do, and who's gonna sit next to who at the table, who's gonna not have a drink today so that they can drive Auntie Mildred home, Who's, what we're going to record on Sky Plus. You know, if you want to record um, Strictly, you're going to have to delete some of those Ice Truckers episodes. What time we're going to drive to Mum's? What time we're going to get back? Can we just agree that before we leave so that we don't have an argument in front of them? Christmas is a time of making plans, fed by this desire for it to be a perfect Christmas. But I wonder, what would it look like for us to care as much over the next couple of weeks, care as much about his plans as we do our own. And what would that look like um, for you? How would it affect your conversations over the next few days? Are you willing to declare this Christmas, my soul, my heart and soul is gonna magnify the plans of the Lord? Are you gonna sort of like reflect on all the stuff that he's done through you and in you and for you this year and what he's going to do in the future and what he's doing right now? You know, when. So in practice, when you get into that conversation with Uncle Jeff and he asks you, how's your year been then? Could you find a way of expressing what the Lord has done in your life this year? Now, I know this isn't always easy, especially with sort of like family. Perhaps, um, and perhaps especially sometimes Christmas can be a really difficult time for us. Perhaps you at the moment are facing, like Mary, a really difficult Christmas. It might be that there's a, a relationship that's, that's, in, that's, in, that's facing challenges, or it may be finance, it may be your health. It may be that there's an unexpected pregnancy in your life and you just don't know what to do and your heart and your soul is troubled because that's the thing that's grown and enlarged and is taking over your mind. And, and Christmas, I think, has this way of, of emphasizing and focusing those kind of difficulties, doesn't it? You know, on one hand, Christmas can be, sometimes it can be, you know, if things are great, there's no time like Christmas. But when we're going through difficult times, Christmas has a way of somehow making difficult things worse. I, I remember, you know, when I was a teenager, I was about 13, 14, it was just before my mum died. She was really, really poorly. She got cancer. She'd also got mental health problems, and she'd been admitted into a psychiatric hospital. And on, on Christmas Eve, they, they sort of like, you know, obviously wanted her to be at home with the family. So they, they filled her with all this medication, sent her home. And I remember we kind of like put mum in, you know, in the chair and we, and we tried our best to do like a traditional family Christmas. Um, but if I'm honest, it was a really horrible Christmas. It was really, really hard. Now, mum's health at that time was a difficult thing. But somehow all the tinsel and the trimmings just made the whole situation feel 10 times worse. And so, you know, maybe you are facing a Christmas like that. 
And if that is you, if you're just not looking forward to the next couple of weeks, um, then one thing I want to say is that before you leave tonight, come up the front or tap somebody on the shoulder who's sat next to you and just get a prayer top up before you go into that. Get, get, allow the Holy Spirit to just minister to you, give you courage, give you life and just bless you. D- do do that tonight. We're, we're family and that's what we want to do. Even if it's the first time here, um, get somebody to pray with you. But the other thing that I want to encourage you in, and I guess this is something I think I've kind of like learned over the years a little bit, is that in truth, our circumstances do not need to dictate the posture of our soul. We do have a choice about that. You know, you can't control what happens to you. We can't dictate the events of our life, but we can choose what our soul magnifies. And we can choose for our soul to either magnify our sufferings or our savior. Now I know that kind of maybe makes it sound a little bit simple. I don't wanna minimize um, any sort of difficulties, challenges that people are facing. But I really do believe that if Mary managed to do it, then we can too, because you know she was just an ordinary person. So like her, we can choose instead to magnify him and his plans, no matter what situation we're in. So I know that's kind of taken the, like most of the time, but that's really the first point. I've got one other thing that I wanna um, touch on before we kind of leave tonight. And the, another thing that I wanted to showcase about Mary is the way that her life and her soul also sort of acted as a bit of a magnifying glass to God's power, as well as his plans to his power in her life. We think about it, Mary had a totally unique, unique relationship with Jesus. Um, like, so, you know, she, she carried him for nine months in her womb. She nursed him. She taught Jesus how to walk and talk. From the moment he was born crying in her arms um, to, to the moment that he was you know, taken down from the cross, she was there step by step. And it's, I think it's hard for us to comprehend how somebody could have such a, a personal physical, tangible relationship with Jesus. Nobody has had it quite in that way. Um, this year, I was reading the story of Mary to my little girl, Hope, at like bedtime. And, um, and afterwards, I remember Hope was trying to sort of make, make sense of the whole, this crazy situation. She was like, so let me get this right. Mary is, is, is Jesus' mummy. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, and Jesus is God. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, and God made everybody and I was like yeah and she's like I don't get it she's like she's like I can't give birth to mummy so how can Mary give birth to God that's crazy and I didn't know what to say I was theologically thwarted (laughs) I just ended up sort of like quoting Gabriel when Mary asked a similar question and saying with God nothing's impossible and um, she didn't look very convinced um, because there's something utterly inconceivable about this isn't there Jesus, completely human, yet completely divine. He who, the, who was there at the beginning, uh, before creation, infinite God, but sown as a seed into a woman's womb at a, at a precise moment in history. How can the eternal one have a bath? Bur- a bath? <laughs> well, yeah, how can the eternal one have a bath? How can the eternal one have a birth as well? How can the divine one be contained in a human body? It's paradoxically impossible, and it's utterly mysterious. 
And I've yet to see a sort of a children's nativity play tackle this really fully. But I think the explanation that we get um, in Luke gives us a little bit of insight. Um, Earlier in chapter one, um, Gabriel explained, um, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You know, going back to that picture of, 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 of a magnifying glass that I mentioned earlier, um, I don't know whether you've ever done that trick where you use a magnifying glass to start a fire. Have you seen it done? Um, it'll come up on the screen, a little picture of it. Um, my, my wife, Abby, told me that she, um, at school, used a magnifying glass to burn a hole in her school tie. So I think I can see where our kids' behavioral issues come from. <laughs> so just as the, as the sunlight comes to rest on the lens, its power becomes focused on a piece of paper or a school tire or whatever, and a tangible fire starts. And I think that is a great picture. You know, in a way, Mary acted like this magnifying glass. The Holy Spirit came to rest on her, and as the the creative, life-giving power of the Spirit flowed through her, something tangible happened. Now, When Mary said these words, my soul shall magnify the Lord, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that she had this sort of picture in her mind because she probably didn't know what a magnifying glass was. She probably wouldn't have realized, you know, even that. But but I think this is a great picture, nonetheless, of the incarnation, of this, you know, the, the coming of Jesus as a man. Mary is like the magnifying glass. The Holy Spirit is like the sunshine and the fire. It's like Jesus. The glass has, has no power in itself, does it? A magnifying glass doesn't have any power. The power comes from the sunlight. But the glass has a, has a role to play, nonetheless. Mary had no power. She had no status. She had no credibility. And yet she got to participate in the most incredible miracle. And her gift, her principal gift in all of this, wasn't that glamorous. It was just simple obedience. And yet because of that obedience, her words were fulfilled. All generations do call her blessed because she just made herself available. She offered herself up to the light. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. With her body, her mind, and her soul, she said, my soul shall magnify the power of the Lord. And I think we, we, we can participate in this similar dynamic. It's ever since Pentecost, The same Holy Spirit um, that was there in that miracle um, has been at work and resting on believers to work through them um, and and sort of like dispense his power in a a myriad of ways. He's looking to do the impossible all the time. He's looking to to sort of, to see miracles happen, to see um, people healed. He's looking to sort of release prophetic words. He's looking to share the, the message of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is looking to anoint and equip people And it's a bit like the sunshine in a way. He's everywhere, but we don't necessarily feel him all the time. But he's looking. He's always looking for willing souls who are willing to to lay themselves open like a magnifying glass and say, yeah, my soul will magnify the Lord. Would you flow through me, Holy Spirit? Let me me be a conduit of your power. Would Would you allow me to see the focus of your power? I want to see your kingdom come. Would you work through me? And so... And so that is the the, the Christmas challenge that I want to sort of set to to you, to find some way over these next couple of weeks amongst the tradition, 
and the, and the dinner and all the, all the family interactions, to find some way in all those conversations of expressing this belief that, that Jesus really is at the center of it all. But, but more than that, I think, of drawing attention to it, of emphasizing it, of enlarging it, regardless of where we find ourselves in, regardless of what's going on in our lives over the next couple of weeks, regardless of our personal plans and our hopes and our fears, finding some way of making ourselves available to him this Christmas, to what he wants to do in us and through us. So that's why I want to ask you, what would it look like this Christmas for you to, to magnify God's plans and his power with your heart and with your soul?